Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for just that, Emmanuel. We've sung about this morning, God with us. Lord, as we just marvel at that, that word, Emmanuel, that you, O oh Lord God, would step down from your glory, step down from your throne on high and humble yourself to be born in a manger, a cattle trough, to live a life of humble means, to give your life on Calvary's cross so that we might have everlasting life. Oh, precious Lord, we are thankful today for the sacrifice that you made for us. Knowing that we are so unworthy. We praise you for your love and your grace. That you would be Emmanuel, God. And we know today, O oh Lord, that You are with us even still. Even here in this service, You are with us. We pray that Your Spirit would be upon us. Open our hearts and our minds. Let us hear and heed Your Word today, I pray. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, open with me to Titus, Titus chapter 3, as we are finishing up our study in the book of Titus, and then next week we'll move on to uh, celebrating our Lord's birth, and so we'll spend a few weeks on Christmas-themed uh, sermons, so looking forward to that as we get into Christmas season. Sorry, I'm having trouble with some stuff trying to fall out here on me. So, But today we're looking at Titus as we're finishing up Paul's letter to Titus. And this is that letter for the church as Paul has been giving Titus some information as how he ought to set up the church, how he ought to organize, and how he should teach the church while he is there. And so we finish today with Titus chapter 3, verses 9 through 15. If you found your place, stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's Word. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division... After warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person, such a person is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. When I send Artemis and Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenus, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. 
and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Amen. May the Lord add blessings to the reading of his holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And may he write its eternal truth on all our hearts. And you may be seated. Well, last week we looked at the, the first part there of chapter 3, and, and Paul wanted Titus there to remind the church to be devoted to good works, to set their mind on good works, kingdom works. And now as he comes down to the final word here, he has a little final instruction for Timothy, or excuse me, for Titus, and for the church there in Crete, on the Isle of Crete. I remember, and you, you parents there, you, you can relate to this, as you leave home and you leave the kids there, they're there to do whatever you're leaving, going out for the night or for the weekend or, or whatever, uh, you often, I know I do anyway, I'm sure you do as well, you kind of leave with some final words of instruction, right? Make sure you do your homework. Make sure you do the chores, take out the trash, feed the dog, do this, do that, right? You leave with some final words of instruction, some important words that you want accomplished while you're gone. Well, I think that's what Paul is doing here in these final words. He's giving those final bit of instruction before he bids farewell, signs off on this letter. They didn't have cell phones. They didn't have text message, so he couldn't follow up. This would be his last writing to Titus, probably before he saw Titus there in Nicopolis. So he's giving this final little bit of information, a little bit of instruction as he signs off on this letter. And so as he does this, what we see here, this final bit of information could be summed up as this, avoid foolish controversies and distractions. Focus instead on fruitful kingdom missions and ministry. Avoid foolish controversies and distractions. Focus instead on fruitful kingdom missions and ministry in other words focus on kingdom productivity kingdom productivity get out go to work and focus on producing for Christ's kingdom and so how does he do that what do we see here as he informs us on this this is not only to the church in Crete it is for us today so as we look at this kingdom productivity then, the first thing that we see here in Paul's instruction is to avoid foolish controversies and distractions. Avoid foolish controversies and distractions. Notice there in verse 9. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, and dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Now, Paul, at the beginning of this letter, has been kind of talking about some of these distractions that was going on there. 
Chapter 1, verse 10, For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silent since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. And so what's going on there in the church at Crete is there's those people who are coming up and they're causing distractions. They're causing uh, divisions within the church. And they're introducing things into the church that ought not to be there. Uh, They are very religious people. Uh, They know the law of God backwards and forwards. And they're using that to cause division within the church. That's why he calls them their uh, controversies. Foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law. Uh, Their focus is on the Old Testament law. And, And so what they're doing is they're bringing in all of this extra stuff. You know, it's not just Jesus, it's Jesus plus. It's Jesus plus all of these things to do with the law. And we need to understand that Paul isn't just writing off all of the Old Testament law. When you look back at the law of Moses, that's where we're focused at. When you look back at the law of Moses, there's, there's parts of the law that, that we should still look at and still observe today. When you talk about the moral law especially. That's informative to us. That tells us how we ought to live. We ought to have no other gods before us. We, we ought not to, to steal. We ought not to commit adultery. It tells us, it informs us how to live godly lives, righteous lives before God. But then there's parts of the law that they, were, they had their part in the day. There's the ceremonial law. The law that was to point us to Christ. You had the, the, the whole laws back there, especially with the, the circumcision. That's A number one. That's one of the, the problems that Paul is fighting here, these, of the circumcision party. They're coming in and they're saying, well, if you want to be saved, you also have to be circumcised as well. But that was all part of the Old Testament, and that was to point us to Christ. It requires a commitment of God's people. And it points us to a commitment that must be made in Christ. Circumcision is no longer necessary as the apostles in the first church recognized. But it was a means to point the Old Testament saints to Christ. There are other laws as well as far as the food laws. That was all to point us to Christ, to point the people of that age to Christ. The laws with all of the festivals, the Passover, all of those ceremonies pointed to Christ. But when Christ came, He fulfilled them. Right? Those all alluded to Him. They were a type to point us to Him. But once you have the full picture, you no longer need that type. You no longer need that illusion. You just look to the full figure. You look to Christ. But you see all of these other people, all of these uh, of the circumcision party, they were saying, well, you've got to have Christ, plus all of this other stuff. And they were adding it on to the people. And they also got into foolish controversies over genealogy. A genealogy was a big thing for Jews in that day. 
If at that time, you remember back, if you know your Old Testament history, Israel, the, two, the divided kingdom, Israel, the northern kingdom, it got taken away into exile by the Assyrians. And then the, the southern kingdom, they got taken into exile by the Babylonians. And by Paul's day, we have what's called the missing tribes of Israel. Somewhere along the way, there are a lot of Jews that kind of lost track of who they, who they were, where they came from, their genealogy. And they may have known they were Jews, but they lost track of what tribe they were from. And so if you could name what tribe you were from, if you could actually lay out your genealogy, then you were something that's why we see Paul talking about in Philippians, if you remember there, Paul talking in Philippians, that uh, he talked about those who were boasting in, having confidence in their flesh. And Paul says, hey, wait a minute. Now these guys, they, they won't talk about confidence in the flesh. Hey, if anybody has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I'm an Israelite of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. You see, Paul is laying out that foolish controversy. He's saying, okay, they want to talk about genealogies. They want to talk about all these things. I've got that. But I'm telling you, I don't boast in those things. I don't have confidence in those things. I boast in Christ. I have confidence in Christ. So forget about all of that foolishness and focus on Christ. And that's exactly what Paul is talking about here. There's this foolish controversies, these, uh, just ignorant stuff that's coming up to draw people away from the gospel, to draw people away from kingdom ministry. Paul says that they're foolishness. It's foolishness. It's worthless and unprofitable. All of this mess, all of these distractions that pull people away from kingdom work, they're just distractions. They're taking you away from kingdom work. The most important thing for us is to do kingdom work. To point people to Christ. How easy it is for us to get distracted by little trivial things. Think about that. We can get sidetracked by such trivial matters. And oh, how God's church has done that over the ages. <laughs> Getting in fusses and fights over trivial things that make not a difference in the world. And Satan loves that when we get sidetracked by the trivial. Because when we're sidetracked by the trivial, we're not focused on what's most important. We're not focused on Christ. We're not focused on bringing people to Christ. You see, we're just as uh, side, easily sidetracked by trivial matters as they were in that day. Paul says, avoid foolish controversies. Avoid foolish distractions. Avoid those. Now, sure, there are things worth fighting over, and, and Paul makes that clear even in this letter. When you have people who are trying to teach a different gospel in church, you kick them out, you get rid of them, you run them off because they're drawing people away from Christ. You just dis disown them. Those things are worth fighting for. 
But the trivial matters, don't get involved in those. Don't get distracted by the trivial. But focus on what is most important. Focus on Christ's kingdom and building His kingdom here on earth. So avoid foolish controversies and distractions. Second, correct contentious and divisive people. We must correct contentious and divisive people, those who are making matter out of the trivial. Notice what he says there in verse 10. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. So for these people who are bringing all of this contention in, in the church there, they're bringing all of this division, they're causing division, stirring up trouble, just to be stirring up trouble, you've got to deal with them, Paul says. You've got to deal with them. You've got to deal with them. That's why church discipline is so important. Now, we don't like to talk about church discipline. That's not a pleasant subject to discuss. But we must conduct church discipline on the contentious. When there are those who are working in the church to divide the church, to tear the church apart, to take away the church from the mission of God, those problems, those people must be dealt with. However unpleasant that it may be. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't have disagreements in church. We have disagreements, right? We have disagreements. As long as we are in this body of flesh, we're going to disagree about things. This side of Christ's return, we're going to disagree about things. And that's okay to have disagreements in church. There's a place for disagreements. We have business that comes up. We're about to have business that come up, comes up right now. You have the, the budget there before you today. And this week, this Wednesday night, we're going to come and we're going to discuss the budget. And there's going to be disagreements about the budget. And that's okay. We can discuss those. And, and this person gives their view and that person gives their view. And we come away and we get a better understanding of that. And then next Sunday morning, we're going to come here and we're going to vote on the budget. And whatever the whole church says is, is where we're going to do it. And then that's the end of it, right? Whether I agree with the budget or disagree with the budget, if the church votes to pass the budget and it says that's what the plan that we want to take, great, let's get on board and let's go. End of discussion. You see, there's, there's, it's all right to disagree amongst ourselves, but when that disagreement becomes divisive and we begin to break fellowship over that disagreement, then we have a problem. And if there's those who want to continue to make that an issue and, and make more division in the church, then we have a problem. Paul says you've got to deal with that problem. Jesus tells us as well to deal with the problem. Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. I won't turn there, I won't read that, but, but you can turn to it later. Jesus there says, if, you if your brother has a fence with you, then go to your brother and work it out. 
If he won't listen to you, you take another brother with you and you talk to him again. You work it out. And if he won't listen to either one of you, the two of you, then you take him before the church. And if he won't, li take him, if he won't listen to the church, then you treat him like a Gentile and a heathen, like a tax collector. You see, that must be done. There is a place for, for discipline. For those who are tearing apart the church. Taking the church away from the mission of God. They must be dealt with. They must be dealt with. But notice here the ultimate goal of church discipline. The ultimate goal of that to, to correct the contentious and divisive person the ultimate goal, first of all, is to root out the rebellious, to root out the rebellious, and to restore the repentant. You see, there's two parts there. You want to root out the rebellious. You root out the evil in the church, the, the weeds that may be there that Satan brings in. That's what he's getting at. Look at that language there. Warped. Sinful. He is self-condemned. That word there, he is warped. That person who is causing this division, he is warped. That word there is in the perfect passive indicative. That means that literally this is what that, that is saying there. He has been and remains morally off track. That's what Paul is saying there when he says that he is warped. He has been and he remains morally off track. In other words, what this person who is causing this division is reflecting is that he is not in Christ. He is warped. He has always been warped. He doesn't have the interest of Christ at heart. He is of the world. He is sinful. He continues to sin. He is self-condemned, meaning he participates in his own condemnation since he is without excuse. You see what Paul is getting at there. The reason you want to root out the rebellious. Because the truth of the matter is, when Christ comes into our lives, Christ makes a difference. He makes a difference. He changes us. He died, was buried, and raised again to give us a new life. Not to leave us in the old life, but to bring new life to us and in us. And if we're still living that rebellious life, then the evidence there is that we don't have Christ. And if one doesn't have Christ, they're following their father, Satan. And they'll continue to cause division. They'll continue to stir up strife. Because Satan wants to continue to cause division and strife within Christ's church. Dear friend, if you're here today and you, maybe you're one of those people. And maybe, maybe you've been a member. Maybe you're a member of another church. Maybe you're a member of this church. And, and you recognize this in your own life that, that 
You've been contentious and, and you don't have the love of Christ in you. Turn to Jesus today. Turn to Christ. He will make you new. He will make you new. He will take out that contentious spirit. Make you into the image of, his, of Christ. The Gospel takes away the warpedness. It takes away the sinfulness. It takes away the condemnation. We only turn to Christ. So it's to root out the rebellious, but it's also to restore the repentant. It's also there to restore the repentant. Now, I want to just turn over to 2 Corinthians. Uh, Paul wrote two letters to the Corinthians. In the first letter to the Corinthians, he addressed the issue of, uh, of church discipline. There was a, a person there, a man, who Paul said he had sin that was not even named among the Gentiles. He was, he was sleeping with his father's wife. It says, Paul said, and you people are just are celebrating that. It says, you ought not to be celebrating that. You ought to deal with it. He is sinning against God. You've got to deal with it. You've got to conduct church discipline and kick him out. Treat him like a sinner. But the hope there is not that he would remain a sinner, but that he would be restored to Christ. And when we get to 2 Corinthians, it seems that this guy, this person who had been sinning against God, had repented. But now the church is on the other end of the problem, and they're not wanting to accept the repentance. They, they want to keep him out. And Paul is directing them here then in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 5. Now, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure... Uh, not to put it too seriously, uh, too severely, to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and to comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. See, that's the goal of church discipline. Church discipline, yes, in past ages and other places, church discipline has been used and abused and it's caused hurt and it's caused heartache. But just because it's been used and abused in the past doesn't mean it's not still useful for today. We just have to make sure that the motive is right and the motive is not to hurt someone. The motive is not to, to get them out of the church. The motive is to bring them to Christ. To bring them to Christ. To help them to, to see their sin. To see their rebellion. And either accept Christ for the first time or repent from their rebellion and, and come back to Christ. To a faithful fellowship with Christ. And with His church. It's not to be a mean-hearted thing. We must always watch for that. But it's an act of love meant to draw people 
draw the rebellious Christ. So, we avoid foolish controversies and distractions. Correct contentious and diverse people so that they may, the evil may be rooted out and the repentant may be restored. Then lastly, we ought to support fruitful kingdom missions and ministry. Paul turns to the good news here, right? He gets off the bad stuff, stuff we don't like to talk about, and he gets to the stuff that brings excitement and joy, right? He says, support fruitful kingdom missions and ministry. Notice there in verse 12 through 15. When I send Artemis and Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. Remember that. See that they lack nothing. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be to you all. So as Paul looks at this, first of all, we're to support fruitful kingdom missions. We're to support fruitful kingdom missions. Now, Paul notes there that he is planning on wintering in Nicopolis. Nicopolis. Now, let's just think about what he's talking about here. He is going there to winter. Now, where is Nicopolis? Nicopolis is, uh, there was many Nicopolises, but this one, most people believe that it was Nicopolis of Epirus, if I got that pronounced right, Epirus or Epirus. It's there on the the western coast of Greece. And if you look at it on a map, you you have Italy. And you know how Italy is shaped. It's shaped like a boot. And if you go straight off the hill of the boot of Italy and you hit the uh, shoreline of Greece, the western shoreline of Greece, there is Nicopolis. Nicopolis was a a harbor city, uh, a city that just, it, it, it was a great city of trade, a master of commerce, lots of people coming in and out of there. Paul has been on this fourth missionary journey. He's coming to a time of winter, and we've talked about this before. When winter time came, you typically found a place to settle in for a while. You didn't want to be out on the seas uh, sailing because the waters got too, too bad. You wanted to find a place to settle in for a while. Paul is going to this commerce center. He says, that's where I want to winter for the winter. That's where I want to be. Why? Because Paul wants to go to the biggest place that he can think of where he can take the gospel to the most people. He doesn't want winter just to be about him sitting around looking at the rest of the guys with him. He wants to be about his father's business. He wants to be out taking people the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he goes to one of the most populated places, the most popular places for people to winter, and he goes there. I want to be there. By the way, uh, tradition tells us, or, or many believe, that it was at Nicopolis that Paul was arrested the second time and taken back to Rome for his second Roman imprisonment where he was then martyred. So just FYI. 
But notice as he's going there, but he also says this. He says, look, uh, uh, do your best to speed, to send Zenos, Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. See that they lack nothing. They're coming here to me at Nicopolis. They're going to come and join me wherever I am on the, the mission field, and then they're going to go with me to Nicopolis. Send them with whatever they need. Whatever they need, take care of them. In other words, support them as they go out to accomplish the mission of Christ. Dear friend, as the church... We are called not to get caught up in the foolish controversies that we can so get caught up in. But our focus is to be on kingdom productivity. Making sure that the gospel is going out. Not just in Bastrop, but around the world. Paul says, make sure they lack nothing. Take care of them. Support them. That's where our focus ought to be. On taking the Gospel to the nations. So we must support Gospel kingdom-centered missions. We also must support fruitful kingdom ministry. Just notice there those last words there. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be fruitful. We're to support fruitful kingdom ministry, but we're also to support fruitful or missions, but we're also support fruitful kingdom ministry. Missions going out and ministry right here where we are. Right? We gotta have that dual focus. We gotta look to, to the horizons. We gotta look to the ends of the earth. Go make disciples of all peoples. That includes around the world, and that includes all of this right here. Make sure you take care of those urgent needs. Take care of those people who have urgent needs, those who are right around you with urgent needs. You see, that's where our focus ought to be. That's where our focus ought to be. Not on trivial things. Not on things that 5, 10, 50, 100 years from now is not going to make a difference in the world. But focus on things that matter. Focus on eternal things. Focus on kingdom mission and ministry making disciples of all nations, seeing the lost come to Christ. Is that where our focus is today? As we think about that, we have, even today, we start the, the Lottie Moon week of prayer. And we're building up to, to that offering. Well, we're starting to take up that offering and as you saw there on the video today, 100% of what we give to Lottie Moon goes to the nations. It goes to taking the gospel to, to the nations. 
And so we give to that. We give to uh, our Kevin Sanders, our missionary, our church planner up in Boston. We're giving to him. We have the 2020 vision. By the way, uh, someone asked me when to, to give to that. Give now. Uh, we, we just started that. So uh, if, if you missed the communication, give any time. Just put on your check, Boston, and we'll know to get it to him. Uh, I'm thank, thankful, very thankful for all the support that we have raised for Kevin and his family. And what great, great mission is going on in Boston. I'm just getting report after report of great things, a movement of God in Boston. I don't know, he, the, something ha happening there, and I'm excited that we're a part of that. But we can be a part of that by supporting those who are there doing the work. We support here with Karen Hope Ministries. Man, if you, if you need a, a, something to do Monday, Wednesday, Friday afternoon, go down to Karen Hope and, and help there. Man, what, that will bless your heart. But our church has a big part in that ministry, and I'm thankful for that. And church ministries abroad. Our mission is to love God, love one another, and love our world. Oh, make sure you're involved in life group. Make sure that you and your life group are then involved in ministry and missions going out beyond the walls of this church. We have to be productive for the kingdom. We have to be productive for the kingdom. If we're not being productive for the kingdom, we're not doing what God sent us to do. We're not doing what He placed us here to do. If we fail to do what He placed us here to do, he might snuff out our candle. That warning to the churches in Revelation, those warnings go to us. If we lose our first love, we take our sights off the kingdom, God might snuff out our candle. Let's not let that happen. Let us not be caught up on the trivial. But let us be productive. Be productive for the kingdom. Doing all the right things to excel and to expand the kingdom all around. Dear friend, avoid foolish controversies and distractions. Focus instead on fruitful kingdom missions and ministry. Let that be the focus of our church. As we think about this today, as we observe the Lord's Supper today, we remember we're here, not by our own will, not by our own might, not by our good deeds, but by the blood and the flesh that was broken and spilt out for us on Calvary's cross. He's who we do this for. He's who we do this for. For His glory and His namesake. What are you focused on? What are you focused on? Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray today that as we come to this table in remembrance of Christ, Lord, that our hearts and our minds would be drawn all the more to Him. 
We do this in remembrance of Him who loved us and died for us. Lord God, because of His love, let us give our lives completely into Your service. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Perhaps you're here today and you don't know the love of Christ. You've never come to faith in Him. Never surrendered your life to Him. Come, let today be the day of surrender. Give your life to Jesus.